Before you start this episode, we wanted you to be aware that it contains a detailed description of an alleged sexual assault that some listeners might find upsetting. Also, I noted that Louis is in that denim shirt nearly in every scene in that montage, and it's meant to have been about two weeks. It's clearly a new buy that he's very excited about. Maybe he just has like 10 of them. Hello and welcome to All The Way Through, the podcast journeying through the Louis Through back catalogue to work out if we love him as much as we thought we did. I am, as always, Matthew Dunn-Miles and I'm joined, always and forever, by Alex Watson. Hello, Alex. Hello, Matthew. We are delving back into the world of 2001, looking at an episode which is particularly long and juicy. So we've decided to split this into a part one, part two. But Alex, where are we? Well, time-wise, we are in December 2001. Ant and Deck had just presented their final edition of SMTV and CD UK on the 1st of December. End of an era. And on the 8th of December, the S Club 7 single, Don't Stop Moving, is voted the 2001 Record of the Year by ITV viewers. A fine choice. That is a great tune that I still listen to when I go running, so... <laughs> that is timeless. That is absolutely timeless. We are in posh South London, Battersea in fact, and we are introduced to the Hamiltons with a little bit of foreshadowing as Christine asks Louis, What's wrong with being saucy? And then Neil Hamilton says, It's been a permanent source of regret to me that the one thing I've never been involved in is a sex scandal. Roll the credits. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see if we can fix that one for you. There is a bit of context that's given throughout, so we'll kind of get to that when we get to it. But as a brief overview, Neil Hamilton was a conservative politician involved in a big scandal in the political world and then becomes some sort of celebrity through this. But what they're famous for is difficult to pin down. And that's what they're trying to do, essentially. I mean, I was a preteen at this point, as were you. I had really no idea who the Hamiltons were. It feels like a thing that would have got mentioned maybe in Have I Got News For You at the time. But in terms of like mainstream cut through, this wasn't Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton sort of levels of fame and notoriety. After the credits, we jump straight into an episode of the BBC News at 10 from the 10th of August 2001. And the announcement is that Neil and Christine Hamilton have been arrested by police in connection with allegations of a serious sexual assault. And then from that, we go to a one month earlier card. And that's where we begin with our friend Louis in a lift in a shiny silvery shirt with geometric orange and white pattern that he should be arrested for wearing (laughs) the serious serious assault assault. on fashion. (laughs) But we can tell he's growing up because this one is long sleeve instead of his usual short sleeve numbers. It's extremely long across the board. It's almost verging on a dress. So Louis is in his maxi dress. He's wandering through the corridors of a flat complex. It looks a bit like a student halls. It's obviously a very new build. And he says he's here to meet the Hamiltons. At this point in history, Neil is best known for being a disgraced ex-Tory minister. Disgraced for allegedly taking bribes for doing favours. And if people need a bit of context on that, because we do kind of touch on it later, but I don't think it's fully explained. 
This was the Cash for Questions scandal, which took place in the 90s, particularly 1994. Thanks to BritPolitics.co.uk for the description of this. Two Conservative members of Parliament, Neil Hamilton and Tim Smith, were accused by The Guardian of taking money and accepting gifts, such as a stay at the Ritz Hotel, from Mohammed Al-Fayed, the owner of Harrods, to make sure they asked certain questions in the House of Commons. When these allegations became public, Tim Smith admitted to taking the cash and immediately resigned, but Neil Hamilton said, he was totally innocent. He was then forced to resign as a member of government, but he was still the MP. And then he lost in the next general election. And then Christine <laughs> is known for being his wife. <laughs> That's literally all we hear about her. And so the plan, as Louis explains, is for him to follow them as they seek to become known for something else other than scandal, which I'm sure is going to go well for them. I can't imagine that anything will get in the way, really. What could possibly go wrong? Louis knocks on the door and Christine is there with a, quote, mouthful of melon in a lovely red shirt, pink trousers, and she's got her glasses on a necklace. She's got very blonde, soft, feathered hair, does Christine, uh, which I'd noted down, but then Louis starts talking about her hair as soon as they get into the flat. He opens with the line, Your hair looks more normal now. Taking that better probably than a lot of people would. She laughs and reaches out and ruffles Louis's hair. And then he tries to explain what he means by saying that during the trial, when there were presumably pictures of the Hamiltons in the paper, her hair looked more metallic and harder. I did go and have a look for pictures to try, to try and find out what he was talking about. And I think he just meant that she used to use hairspray. Look, Louis's been in the salon with Debbie McGee now. He knows all about women's hair. And he's decided that she had a metallic look going on before. It made me think of those guys who dress up as robots in the street and spray themselves silver. I assume she wasn't doing that. Maybe that was a side hustle. (laughs) Christine then says that was the old her. She's been done over, is her words. Which made me think she was like a bookies or a supermarket that had been robbed. But I think she means she's had a makeover. And Louis finally, after a bit of time, says she looks excellent. He states that they've not met before at this point. But then Christine asks, am I allowed to give you a kiss? No. And then Louis nervously looks at Will, the director, before saying, why not? And then they agree to both have like a kiss on the cheek. Have we finally met someone who's more tactile than Louis? Yeah, well, she's already touched his hair, hasn't she? Exactly. But she pulls her shirt up to hide when they kiss as well. It's very kind of avoiding the paparazzi. It's very strange. And just at that moment, Neil decides to come in and ring the buzzer. Maybe he sensed that his wife was being flirtatious with another man. And we kind of get a little glimpse of the flat as they're going towards the door to answer the buzzer. And it's all this really old furniture, proper like stately home stuff, but in this very new build. It's so odd. Probably all heirlooms and whatnot. But surely it should match the house, no? Funny that you said earlier that the building looked a bit like student halls, because I thought that too. And you'd expect a bit more for such a fancy address. Yeah, I think we get to see it. It's all about, as Kirsty Olsop would say, location, 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 with their views of Battersea Power Station, as you see later on. But before that, we get to Neil. He arrives finally in his shorts and T-shirt, scantily clad, and he's been out for a run, been out for some exercise. Because, Alex, we know no political rebrand is complete without going running see matt hancock for more details neil steps through the door awkwardly says hello mum down the barrel of the camera and then they begin to talk about his new exercise regime christine says he's really got himself into shape and he's lost two and a half stone and neil says well he's not lost them he's just converted flab to muscle that's impressive to be fair yeah he looks good i don't know what he looked like before 
Metallic. <laughs> Louis has a big feel of Neil's biceps and gets him to flex his muscles. But then Christine says, actually, his leg muscles are the best. I have noted that he looks pretty scrawny to me, but hey, good for Neil. You also missed out Neil's slightly risque joke. Louis says, can I feel your muscle? And then Neil jokes, oh, you mean that muscle as he feels his arm. Instantly a vibe has been set here. If we're going to make a note of all of Neil's risque jokes, we might run over time. (laughs) (laughs) They go sit on the balcony overlooking Battersea Power Station, which is a nice spot. And then Louis asking Neil who is now dressed, what his job is. Neil says, Well, I describe us as professional objects of curiosity. People like you come and interview us. (laughs) And Louis sort of says, really? And then Neil says, no, actually, we do lots of things. Media work, radio, TV, writing. But presumably all focused around themselves in some way. But I also think this is a slightly forgotten era of the non-celebrity celebrity. Howard from the Halifax adverts and Craig from Big Brother. Just like normal people who now somehow are famous for just being themselves. But also interesting to have been off the back of quite a serious scandal and then decide to try and reinvent yourself. Maybe he's more nasty Nick than he is Craig from Big Brother actually. Neil says at this point that after the 1997 general election, they had to decide what they were going to do next. New Labour were voted in in the UK and the Conservative government were on the way out. Things can only get better, can only get... Wow, I felt like Brian Cox was in the room on the keyboard there. Fans of Succession, don't be confused. I mean a different Brian Cox. But yeah, I feel like the line about losing their jobs overnight and having to figure it out in 1997 feels a bit strange considering that his whole scandal probably was the reason that he had to figure out a new job overnight, right? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Obviously, 1997 is known for being the big new Labour sweep, the rise of Tony Blair. But the guy who won Neil Hamilton's seat was a former war correspondent called Martin Bell, who was actually an independent MP. So I found this on the BBC Politics 1997 website. And apparently this guy ran as an independent anti-sleaze candidate and then took the seat with a majority of more than 11,000 votes. And he was likely to be the only independent MP in the House of Commons at that time. Neil was completely shaken by this and described it as being devastating. And then at the time he's quoted as saying, although this is a setback for me personally and a setback for the constituency, this is not the end of the road. This is not the end of my political career. But at this point in time, it was. He's definitely trying to spin it here, I think. Yeah. Louis asks Neil at this point, you could have run to be an MP again in 2001 though, right? So that's the year that they're filming. And Neil says, yes, if he hadn't been bankrupt, you can't be elected to parliament if you're bankrupt. So they kind of gloss over that at this point, although they do circle back to the fact that Neil is now bankrupt. Anyway, back into the flat, never mind all that stuff. They're in the hallway, which feels very claustrophobic because they have so many framed pictures on the wall and the camera closes up on some of them, some cartoons. A couple of them feature the BBC in the background, like the kind of satirical cartoons you'd see in newspapers. And Louis asks the significance of the BBC being in them. Neil says, Yeah, because I sued them for libel. Now, what was that about? That was Panorama. Which, again, I I wasn't aware of this, I don't think. No, me neither. Apparently this was in the 1980s. Neil says he was accused of being a, quote, closet Nazi who planned to overtake the Tory party and install a fascist dictatorship in Britain. Louis then pauses and says, any truth? And Neil says, well, it sounds credible, doesn't it? 
But this is really interesting. Apparently, it was a 1984 episode of Panorama. Maggie's Militant Tendency was the name of the episode. And it was talking about Neil Hamilton's past and his recent activities where he apparently gone to a speech by some Italian neo-fascist party in 1972. This guy was like one of the ex-ministers of Benito Mussolini. And he'd been connected to a number of far-right parties in the UK. And then apparently, the programme made the claim that Neil Hamilton gave a Nazi salute while in Berlin, while he was messing around quotes on a parliamentary visit in August 1983. That's like a criminal offence in Germany to do that. Essentially, they sued. Panorama had to apologise. But then in a later interview, apparently with The Guardian, he admitted that he had done a little salute with two fingers to his nose to give the impression of a toothbrush moustache. Wow. Yeah. So it feels like he maybe got away with one here. Louis sort of says any truth a couple of times and then again we just move past that one. We've ticked off the Nazi box. Then we close up on another cartoon. This one features Margaret Thatcher, former Conservative Prime Minister of the UK. She no longer is alive, but she is still alive in 2001. Louis asks if Thatcher is a friend of the Hamiltons. They both say yes straight away. And then Christine says she's been a very loyal friend and a very loyal supporter. Mm. No, she's not a dear, dear friend, but she's somebody we extremely fond of and admire enormously. And she says that Margaret Thatcher's always been very good to them. Is this the kind of thing where you say someone's your friend, but you just follow each other on Twitter? They like every single thing that she tweets and she just doesn't know they exist. I thought Louis' expression in this was funny and he's very deadpan and he keeps saying things like, like her, respect her. And they're like, yeah, she's a great lady. She changed the world. And Louis just like, oh, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like he's maybe dying inside a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is also really telling because 2001 is the height of New Labour mania. So being like a staunch Thatcherite at this point is seen as a little bit odd. Whereas probably now people in the Tory party would be quite happy to talk about how much they love Thatcher and regularly they do. Louis then produces a battle axe from nowhere. On closer inspection, it sort of looked like it might be made of plastic. I wasn't sure. But it seems to be on display in the hallway. And he says to Christine... Do you mind being called a battle axe? Not in the slightest, no. What about you, Neil? Do you mind it being said that you're married to a battle axe? No, because that's the brand that we're selling. And then Louis repeats that phrase, the brand, and he says, Oh, I like that. Christine says, oh, the battle axe thing, it's just a joke. Everyone knows it's a load of rubbish, really. I'm a pussycat. And then Louis circles back to this idea of the brand and asks what Neil is in the brand. They kind of backtrack and say, oh, no, we didn't mean like a media brand. It's just that Christine's been branded a battle axe. But they clearly did mean a media brand. Yeah, because then Neil says, oh, no, that is her brand. But he's not the downtrodden husband that people think he is. I mean, I think if this brand is going to work, you have to have that. They claim that it would mean Christine treads on him, which she doesn't. We then move on to their bathroom with incredibly gross wallpaper. And it's also so small. It's like the most claustrophobic room I've ever seen. It's busy, is what I've written. And they've got a lot of clutter. They also have rude tiles on the wall. The tiles Neil chips in were done by Willie Rushton, who was one of the co-founders of Private Eye. Fun fact. There we go. We get back to the saucy chat, which we saw in the opening, where Louis asks, are you quite saucy couple of people? Louis says this might go against the, you know, traditional conservative brand of being strong on family, but not being sexually liberated. I mean, tell that to Boris Johnson. Get you a man who can do both. (laughs) (laughs) Neil says the classic sex scandal line. And then Louis just adds randomly, Al Fayed accused you of procuring rent boys. (laughs) 
I thought this was left field. Neil kind of goes, oh, yeah, like he's glad that Louis brought that up. So I had to do a bit of research into this because I was just intrigued about how this came about. Apparently, this was during the trial for the cash for questions thing. Mohammed Al-Fayed, as we mentioned, was the owner of Harrods, who was the guy who apparently paid for questions to be asked in Parliament by Neil and another MP. During the trial, Mohammed Al-Fayed said that Neil had procured rent boys for a lobbyist called Mr. Greer. And then Neil Hamilton said that this was a deeply offensive and absurd accusation. Yeah, I read a Guardian article, I think, that said Neil had dubbed the accusations a pack of lies and he'd blamed Mohammed Al-Fayed for his career downfall entirely. Christine leaps in very quickly as Louis refers to Mohammed Al-Fayed as Mohammed Al-Fayed. She says, it's just fired. And apparently this is true. He is Mohammed Fayed and started using the Al-Fayed during the 1980s. Some have assumed that Fayed added the Al as a way to make himself seem more aristocratic, like having dirt in the middle of a French name or Von in a German name. But that doesn't quite have the same social connotations with Arabic, apparently. This is according to Wikipedia, so please check those sources carefully. Private Eye magazine nicknamed him the Phony Pharaoh because of the way he was using this in his name. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. So Christine has wandered off and is messing with a fax machine in another room. Louis follows her and says, are you really serious about the Fayed thing? Are you annoyed at me? She laughs and says, you mustn't take anything I say seriously. But then there's debate back and forth over whether he should take her seriously or not. Louis and Neil just giggle in the background like a couple of downtrodden husbands. (laughs) Then they cut to the three of them getting into a red taxi, a red black cab. confusingly and louis talks more in the voiceover about mohammed al-fayed and these accusations so again he comes back to the cash for questions scandal and all the claims against neil and then in the taxi louis asks neil about these claims neil denies it all says he's been monstered unmercifully in the press for years and then louis asks it is established that you did something wrong is it not louis going full paxman here neil says no it's not established he lost a libel action but that's a different matter I think also they say that a parliamentary commission had found that he'd done wrong, but he maintains his innocence when Louis presses him and maintains that none of this actually proves that he did anything wrong. Meanwhile, Christine is sat in the middle of them with the most thousand yard stare I've ever seen, trying her best not to say anything about this. But we find out they're in a taxi because they're off to a swanky party. It's a book launch at a place called Politico's Political Bookshop. It's no longer there in Westminster. In 2004, the guy decided to go completely online. Good luck with selling books on the internet. That never works. And that man was Jeffrey Bass. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it's actually a guy called Ian Dale, who apparently is still a big deal. But he's still going. So if you want political books, that's the place to go, apparently. Good for you, Ian. But as we say, they're off to a bit of a shindig. Neil is in a blazer and he's got a dicky bow on. Christine is in a nice dress. And Louis has put on his best denim shirt for the occasion. I feel like the shirt he was wearing before was weirdly too formal, as ugly as it was. And now a denim shirt feels a bit informal. I think he's got fashion blindness. Sorry, Louis. You've gotten better in your old age. So this is the book launch of a guy called Giles Brandreth. We're going down a very weird hole of British celebrity here. But Giles Brandreth is a writer. He's a TV personality. He hosts shows. He's now on Countdown a lot. He's on The One Show in the UK. But I actually really didn't realise this. He used to be a Conservative politician and was a member of Parliament. He lost his seat in 1997, but he rebranded. It was Neil's dream. Giles is living Neil's dream. We see a picture of Giles' book cover, which looks Quite boring to me. 
It's called Brief Encounters, Meetings with Remarkable People. And there's a picture of Giles on the front. And then we see him in real life as he greets Christine and Neil. And notice that he's doing sort of like Mr. Burns style zombie stance. I don't mean to make fun of people, but... Has Giles got T-Rex arms? Is that what you're saying? He did seem to have little excitable T-Rex arms. And he sort of turns to Louis and the camera to tell them that they're in the presence of very special people. And he's very excited that Christine and Neil are there. Yeah, Giles says... Jolly lucky to have this quality here. Like they're a pair of racehorses or something that he's stumbled across. But then we go to a side chat with Giles away from Christine and Neil. And Louis says he's read something that Giles had written about the Hamiltons. Previously he said he's not too into politics, but he's clearly been doing his research for this. And Giles apparently had wrote, I'm ready to believe them, but the more they get slandered, the more one begins to doubt. Giles says it was kind of a drip, drip, drip of information every day from the papers made people think, oh, maybe there has to be something here. Maybe there is something to this scandal. And then Louis just out of the blue just goes, that's what I believe. Which is so funny. I honestly thought he was going to withhold judgment on the whole scandal thing throughout. But he just decides, goes, yeah, I believe they did something. So Giles says that Neil may admit to some failures. He's done some greedy things, apparently, but he denies this fully. (laughs) We weirdly just cut to a clip of Neil gossiping with a friend about someone being a bloated old fart. I had a quick Google. They're talking about deputy Tory party leader at the time, Michael Ancrum. And Neil says, Ancrum is just a bloated old fart and is utterly hopeless. And then whoever he's talking to, I've written that he might be a journalist because he looks a bit sloppy. Sorry to everyone in our profession. Agrees. And he says, yeah, Ancrum doesn't believe in anything. Oh my God. Then we cut back to Giles, who's kind of making his point a bit more about how they're perceived as guilty because the more mud thrown, some of it sticks. And then he proceeds to do this weird punching action in Louis's face, where he goes very close to his nose. And he does this several times. Louis seems to enjoy it, though. And then Giles just goes, What's so marvellous about them is they have this extraordinary marriage. So it's all fine. Then Giles and Louis are joined by Christine. Giles is talking about how, you know, people can be struggling behind the mask of the public persona. But then he starts talking about the British virtues of the stiff upper lip. And he describes it as admirable that people can do this. This is clearly before a time when conversations around mental health were considered good. And Christine starts to get a little bit upset. And Giles goes, oh, we mustn't get emotional. We mustn't get emotional. (laughs) Come on, keep that lip stiff. Repress, Christine, for God's sake. By the way, I have to ask at this point. So this is Giles' book launch. Why is he only talking to Louis Theroux and the Hamiltons? There's quite a lot of people there. I'm assuming that was the only TV crew that turned up. (laughs) So then Louis, while Giles is there still, says quite up front to Christine that he doesn't accept her version of events, but asks if they can get past that in order for them to get on. (laughs) This is in the middle of like a really busy bookshop. It's so weird that he says this. And then Christine says it might be difficult as essentially Louis is calling them liars. She said it may inhibit the continuation of the making of this programme. Clearly the free wine has hit and everyone is speaking a bit too candidly at this point. So that's the first threat to pull the plug. Many more to come. Back to the Battersea residence of the Hamiltons and we see a videotape labelled Posh Nosh with the Hamiltons. Don't worry. I mean, it sounds like it could be really disturbing, but it's only (laughs) mildly disturbing. 
Then my favorite shot of the entire documentary, I think, Louis sits on the floor like a oversized, lanky teenage son in between Neil and Christine, who are both sat on either side of the sofa, and they all watch on the tiny TV that's very of its era, posh nosh with the Hamiltons. <laughs> it's so funny. I wrote, he looks like Anthony from the royal family. It's incredible. Louis says this is a couple of days after the party. Clearly, Christine hasn't pulled the plug on the whole documentary yet. And we get that the premise of Posh Nosh with the Hamiltons is that the Hamiltons would organise a luxurious meal for people. Um, and that's about it. There isn't much, much of a premise. Louis says, Christine seems relaxed in front of the camera. Neil, not so much. And then we cut to a bit in the TV show of Neil in a supermarket wearing a boating jacket, talking to some people and saying... Because it's new labour, you see, new labour, new labour, new, 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 new alcohol. Yeah. So. It's just a terrible joke. And so Louis then keeps up the straight shooting that he's already started in the party. <laughs> we watch a clip of Neil walking across a garden and Louis just says... No offence, but your body language is very odd. Don't you think, Christine? Can you see that? He says, you walk like a marionette somehow. <laughs> so harsh. Starting with no offence is always immediately <laughs> going to make it offensive. Where's Louis' filter in this one? Jesus Christ. We see the Hamiltons, they're serving up food at a large dinner table with candles. And that, that seems to be the end. Louis says, as yet, the pilot hasn't been picked up by any TV station. Shocker. But, Alex, this is the thing. There was a show called Posh Nosh in 2003, but it was a spoof of this. Oh. <laughs> it was written by a guy called John Cantor and Arabella Weir, who people might know from The Fast Show, and she and Richard E. Grant play a couple called Simon and Minty Marchmont, who are owners of a posh restaurant called The Quill and Tassel. Apparently these were like short episodes on the BBC in which the chefs carry out the mission to bring extraordinary food to ordinary people. And I've watched a couple and it is exactly this. It's so <laughs> funny. But that's meant to be funny. It's not excruciating because it's real people visiting the poors and giving them a fancy dinner. <laughs> Louis's been kind of mean to the Hamilton so far, so maybe it's time to do some bonding. And what way does Louis bond better than with a workout? Sweating with the guys. That's how he gets, gets to know people. So him and Neil are on the Battersea Park trim trail, where they are doing a number of workouts together. Neil starts to speak a bit about how he's worried that they have to be wary that they're not sending themselves up too much with these shows. I feel that line has probably slightly been crossed already. And they're discussing this kind of philosophical question about where that line is while doing some weird kind of slut drops while holding <laughs> onto a, a bar. And Louis, again, I feel like this is quite a non-filtered thing, says, well, in a way, sending yourselves up is your new career. <laughs> and then bizarrely, Neil kind of goes, well, yeah, actually, I suppose so. But it's a fine judgment and something you learn by experience to get that balance right. You know, you've got to go through your posh noshies until you really work out where you are. So then we cut to Louis and Neil running together and then we get kind of a brief montage of some really classic Louis tasks. He's shopping in a supermarket with Christine. We see Neil and Christine both getting their hair done and then Louis is also helping out in the kitchen which is the timeless Louis task. But the reason we're seeing all this is to show that things have been really fucking mundane. Yeah, he says in the voiceover. But with Posh Nosh not looking like being commissioned anytime soon, and not many other offers coming in, the fact was that Neil and Christine didn't have a lot going on. 
He admits that he's starting to worry about where the documentary's heading and how interesting it's going to be. But then, just as we think this documentary is all going to fall to shit, we cut to Café Rouge somewhere in South London. And apparently it's two weeks later and Neil and Christine want to talk about an ominous event that is happening on the following Friday. But they don't really want to talk about it. They kind of give some details, but not a lot. This is a very weird bit. So they're talking about this mysterious event. Sat at a table, the restaurant's quite quiet. It did cross my mind. Why would you invite someone to talk about a sensitive thing that you don't really want to talk about in a public place? And so just talking around what this thing is, Louis asks if once they know what it is, will that be the end of it? And Christine says, no, she doesn't think so. She looks quite stressed and upset. And then Louis goes, oh, I think I know what it is. And Christine says, if you know what it is or think you know, then I'm frankly horrified. I mean, he, clearly he didn't know. Do you think he thought it was like another political scandal thing? Yeah. If this was a tactic to get juicy information, then it kind of worked, I suppose. Neil's staying very quiet at this point. But they continue to glug down wine in Café Rouge. Christine says it's already caused her a lot of heartbreak. And she's kind of building it up massively like this is going to be fucking huge. Fade out fade back in and there's this tense music playing we see louis on a street corner in central london and this is where the documentary really kind of kicks off so he's hanging around on this street corner and then the hamiltons arrive and they walk to a solicitor's office together the hamiltons are also really smartly dressed but that doesn't really give away a lot they wear blazers to the supermarket but louis asks for an end to the mystery Neil says, (laughs) I feel like Neil does this a lot where he goes, well, you know how they say that life is what happens to you when you're making other plans? It's almost like a radio segue. And he says, well, they hadn't anticipated this happening when they agreed to make a documentary with Louis, funnily enough. And then he says, quite matter of factly, But this afternoon we're going off to the Barkingside police station. Right. Where Christine and I are going to be arrested. And Louis just looks shocked. No. What for? So Neil says that they're being arrested on accusations of indecent assault. So I looked up a proper definition of it. It was changed in 2003, but this was still considered like the 1956 version at this point. It was considered to be almost the same as sexual assault. Any sexual offence that does not involve rape or inciting sexual activity without consent involving penetration. It's super serious, but the way they talk about it in this moment is a bit... Blase? Mm-hmm. It's all about them. It's not about what they're being accused of having done. Yeah, it's more the embarrassment of having to go through it than it is, oh my God, I've been accused of something super serious. Christine says, some women has said that both of them had indecently assaulted her at a party. They don't know the details, and then they tell them loads of details. Apparently she's alleged. On the 5th of May, at a sex party in Ilford, an indecent assault was committed, and Neil says it's utterly preposterous. Interestingly, in this bit, when Christine is talking about it, she says, we, not just Neil, have indecently assaulted her. And this is a continuous theme. She's almost like surprised. She's like, oh, well, maybe Neil could be involved, but why would I ever be involved? It's so strange. Yeah, that's a little bit of a subtle throwing him under the bus thing, really. It's quite funny that they've been standing just talking about this in the middle of the street, and then Neil and Christine's solicitor comes out and goes, you should probably come inside, actually, if you're talking about this. And he's a guy called Michael. I didn't catch his surname, did you? Yeah, his name is Michael Coleman. 
they come in and then Louis runs through Michael's CV. So apparently he represented Jonathan Aitken, who was a former Tory MP and a parish priest who was convicted of perjury in 1999. So I guess that didn't go very well, Michael. And James Hewitt, who was the guy who disclosed an alleged affair with Princess Diana in the mid-90s. And Louis says, oh, so you do all the popular people. And Michael says he's there for firefighting situations. Bit of context on Michael, actually, which I think really kind of helps shape the nature of how he takes this on. So an article from The Lawyer later that year says that Michael Coleman has retired at the age of 45. This was his last ever case. Michael was making the big dollar. But it also maybe explains why he's got this strangely (laughs) kind of kamikaze attitude throughout the whole thing. 45, man. I know, Jesus Christ. So Michael is then explained to Louis, this is an arranged arrest. He thinks it could have been set up by a newspaper. Louis asks, well, what purpose would that serve? Michael then explains that it's not even about the fact that they might be guilty. The headline is that they've been arrested for an allegation. So that's an accurate headline. And then Michael says, it's highly likely that this kind of headline is going to appear in one or probably more papers with a picture of the Hamiltons walking in or out of the police station. And then he says that actually, even though this documentary that's being filmed won't air for a while, it's good for viewers to be able to see what goes on behind the scenes with newspapers in this country. They're using it as a PR weapon. Not all newspapers, Michael, I just have to say that. Do not brand everyone with the same brush. Hashtag not all newspapers. But then no filter Louis kicks in again and he goes, I mean, I'm interested in it immediately. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in a ghoulish sense. <laughs> Maybe he was just trying something new. Maybe Will was like, try and be less likable, you know? It's so weird how he talks to them. After they had like some hot drinks, they get into Michael's car, which has the number plate, I law. <laughs> Because he does. Only for like about two more weeks and then... (laughs) (laughs) Then he has to hand it back. Big Daddy Mike is in the driving seat. Louis doesn't get to drive them. And Christine refers to someone, I'm assuming the police, as jumped up little Hitlers. She says she doesn't want to be searched. And then Neil quite sadly asks if there'll be any refreshments in the police station. And at that point, I know he's up for very serious allegations, but my heart did go out to him. I don't know why. It was just so sad. I just wondered what planet he was on. Like, how is that what you're thinking about? Michael then in his last hurrah is talking about how they're not allowed to beat people up anymore. They got banned from doing that a few years ago, which apparently spoiled everything. (laughs) Yeah, you can tell that he's almost kind of weirdly enjoying this. He talks about the weekend that the Hamiltons are alleged to have sexually assaulted this woman who's making the accusations. And he says, you were on holiday, weren't you? And Neil says, oh no, we were off to Italy on the Monday. So that's not going to help them because it was a Saturday. How the fuck are they now working out the alibi in the car? Michael's the best. You know, he only has to do it in the car. (laughs) Michael's last dance. So that Saturday that they're alleged to have sexually assaulted this woman, they were in London. They had a dinner party in the evening with four people in their flat. They arrived at about seven. They didn't leave until after midnight. And then Michael says, okay, none of this gets disclosed to the police until they give much more precise detail about what this allegation is. Because I suppose the more you give the police, the more they have to try and pin it on you. So Louis is weirdly kind of laughing and smiling at Christine while this is all going on. I think he's slightly enjoying it, like he said, in a ghoulish way. Him and Michael are like on this stag do together. (laughs) (laughs) Then Michael channels Matthew McConaughey in True Detective and starts doing some philosophy pontificating. He says, Being a lawyer is not application of law, it's a manipulation of people psychologically in order for them to behave in a way that they think they're behaving freely. 
which suits your purpose. And he says this is a psychology game. Slow down there, Darren Brown. He says the Hamiltons are the ball and the police officers and Michael are the players. Christine, quite rightly, basically tells him to fuck off at this point. <laughs> She's like, look, can you just stop calling it a game? Our lives and reputations are at stake. Michael, yes, we know time is a flat circle, but please, can you get back to helping us out? She also has another jab at the newspapers here, says they don't care if you're innocent or guilty, they just want a good story. And in the car, Michael has also said to them, basically, keep quiet at the police station unless I tell you to speak. And they agree. Christine especially is like, don't worry, I'll keep my mouth shut. They're dropped off on the street, a little bit further away from the police station, I'm guessing. And we see them walking towards the police station. They're looking out for photographers, but at this point there isn't any. And then Louis and the director break off from the Hamiltons as they go into the police station. And Louis says, at that point, it's 3pm. Bit of a montage. Some time has passed. It's only 45 minutes. They make a big deal out of it, but it's only 45 minutes, Jesus. And then we see some journos and some photographers are starting to appear. There's a lot of naughty dress sense and some mobile phones. Everyone's swarming. Louis says he doesn't know who tipped them off, but he swears that it wasn't him, which immediately sounds suspicious. Weird that he has to say that. I wonder how much he was being accused of tipping people off. So then we hear it's 8pm and now there's like a full press pack there. And Louis' first thought is that Christine won't be pleased. Mummy's not going to be happy. <laughs> The Hamiltons come out of the front of the police station. We hear the click of all the cameras going, but weirdly only one journalist asks for the comment. And then Michael speaks on behalf of the Hamiltons. He says, This afternoon, Mr and Mrs Hamilton, by arrangement with the police, were arrested. This arrangement was made two weeks ago. Uh, an accusation has been made against them that they took part in a rape and indecent assault of a woman in Ilford on Saturday the 5th of May which is obviously a little bit more than he told us initially. And then he says that the details of it are quite horrific, but then he goes on to share them in full. So, claims have been made that a woman was raped in a flat. While she was raped, Neil Hamilton was masturbating onto her, while another unidentified man did the same, and that Christine Hamilton was squatting on her face, which is quite shocking to hear. The fact that he just kind of drops this in, again, Michael's last hurrah. He talks about the strategy of it a little bit later, but man, imagine just hearing that as a journalist on the steps of a police station. And imagine having to stand and hear it if it was about you and, you know, you were maintaining your innocence. Michael says the police raised the name of Max Clifford. Jesus wept. A whole other can of worms, which we'll get to later in the series. But for anyone who doesn't know, Max Clifford was a UK PR guru type figure, really associated with all the promoting of kiss and tell stories in tabloid newspapers and that whole culture. So interesting that he is considered to be part of this. Michael stresses to the press that no charges have been made at all in the case and especially not against the Hamiltons. And this entire time that he's speaking, you can just see Neil and Christine looking really serious and worried, close-ups on their face as he's reading out what these allegations are in detail. And then someone says, oh, Neil, do you have anything to say? Neil says, we deny this fabrication absolutely categorically. And then Christine is asked for comment. She goes across and kind of stands in solidarity next to Neil for the pics, I guess. Again, this is a weird gesture. They're both accused. She even says, I have no problem standing beside my husband. Then when she's asked, do you have any comment? She just says, the whole thing is an absolute monstrous fabrication and a lie. And the fact that Max Clifford's name has been put to us by the police is absolutely no surprise whatsoever. 
And they go to leave and journalists are trying to sort of sneak in follow-up questions. And they get like sass from Michael the lawyer. But that's about it really. They're heading off now. Louis then narrates that this was way more serious than he had imagined. With hindsight, maybe I should have been pleased I had such a scoop. But nothing had prepared me for this. And I wasn't sure what my role would now be. We see the photographers surrounding the car and one of them asks, Louis, are you getting in? And he says, yeah, I think I am. So he's kind of press, but he's privileged press because he's within the party. Then that raises the question of, well, what does that privilege mean? What's the deal for his privilege? And it's funny because they get into the car, but they don't move straight away and the windows are down and the photographers are standing taking pictures of... Neil and Christine Hamilton and they're speaking to them and they're being quite polite and the Hamiltons are being quite polite back and at one point one of them says oh good luck with everything and they say thank you and Louis sat next to Christine Hamilton but he's trying to like shrink back and he's obviously like oh I don't really want to be in these pictures and in this moment but he does put his bag up they're trying to take a photo and he clearly must put a bag in front of the window and then Christine says you don't have to do that put that down I know he's basically their son at this point, but it is very strange. (laughs) He doesn't get any choice about whether or not he's appearing as part of this. Some kids wave at them through the window and say, hello, Mr. Hamilton. It's very Charles Dickens, isn't it? (laughs) Hello, boy. Once they drive away, Louis asks what happened. And the way I've written this in my notes is that Christine sort of gently just like explodes and just lets everything out. And she's like, of course, Max Clifford was behind this. Whatever happens now, even if nothing happens, we're going to be all over the front pages. During this, her phone starts to ring, which is like a great retro Nokia. Did you notice that the ringtone's the ride of the Valkyries? Yeah. I was thinking back to this chat about possible Nazi association. I was like, hmm, interesting. Back in the day, you didn't get that much choice with what your ringtone was, so we won't read no, too much. No, that's it confirmed. That's it confirmed. Paranazis. <laughs> Conspiracy theory confirmed. Neil takes it off her because she's still having this meltdown and he answers the phone. So then he's talking on the phone to someone who we realise eventually is someone from The Guardian looking for a comment. And Neil's sort of saying, no, no, we've said everything we're going to say. Meanwhile, Christine's telling Louis that she had to phone her mother to tell her what happened from the police station. And she had to get her mum to go over to their flat to let the police in. And then six policemen were combing their house to take away papers and looking for a blue dress that she was supposedly wearing during the assault. There's a lot going on in this back of this car. It's just interesting as well because they've been clearly told, make the statement and then say nothing. But they both seem utterly incapable of keeping shut for more than five minutes. And this is where you wonder, are they enjoying being at the centre of another scandal? Michael shouts to Neil, who are you talking to? Are you talking to a journalist? And then Christine says, oh, it's the Guardian. You better hang up. They're not even worth the battery space. And then Louis teases them a little bit. I suppose he's probably a fan of The Guardian at this point. Then Louis asked Michael why he was so graphic about the details of the case. Michael says it was a strategy because bits would come out bit by bit. So he's thinking if you get them all out in the open early, it stops there being further stories down the line that reveal little details, which is probably a smart strategy, actually. They talk a little bit about what the police know. Neil says, She doesn't even know whether I'm circumcised or not. Christine crumples into a state of embarrassment. She says, at one stage, the police wanted to lock the two Hamiltons in separate cells simply because, she says, Max Clifford and some tart have invented this allegation. Very upset at the point of tears and Neil's rubbing her arm and being like, there, there, darling. There's kind of two things here. Number one is, if this is all organised by Max Clifford, then 
Jesus Christ shows how powerful he was at this point in time. But also the idea of them being put into a cell. She's shocked. Can you believe it? They would do this to us. But this is how normal people are arrested. I felt like that too. It was very much, but do you know who we are? Also the fact they got to arrange this two weeks in advance. Who gets that privilege normally? This is the most middle class arrest I've ever seen. Louis says, okay, so what happens next? And Michael, the lawyer, says, we may just hear that the investigation has been dropped and all the belongings will be returned. And Christine complains, well, even then, the damage has been done. And Michael kind of starts to chastise her a little bit and says, look, getting upset is only going to harm you. And she loses her shit at him and says, stop being so clinical, for God's sake. It's only a game to you, but it's my life and my reputation. And Michael's like, just take it in your stride. Come on. Michael looking at his retirement residence in the (laughs) south of Florida. Poor bedside manner if lawyers have such a thing. So then we hear some kind of sad piano music in the background and Louis narrates. I was sitting in the back seat of a car with them, wondering whether they were guilty of a serious sexual assault. It was around this time that I started to bite my nails again. There was no way of knowing how all this would turn out, but we were a long way from posh nosh. Thank God. I mean, get posh nosh in the bin. God, what would this whole documentary have been like if this hadn't happened? Louis in a bath of wine with the Hamiltons. (laughs) Which it basically is anyway. Well, there were no baths or wine involved, but our special guest interviewees for this episode are the Hamiltons themselves, more than two decades on from filming with Louis. Matt and I joined Neil and Christine on a trip down memory lane. Well, we are the Hamiltons. <laughs> no. Neil on this side and... Christine! <laughs> it's ridiculous that we're known as the Hamiltons, but there we are, we are, and um, I suppose it is what we are. So anyway, there we go. What made you initially sign up to that documentary? Who approached who? And what was the kind of thinking behind it? What did you hope to get out of it? I think Louis would not want you to call it our documentary. It was his documentary. <laughs> he approached us and we'd never seen... Stop me if I get it wrong. We'd never seen any of his programmes before, but we didn't see why not. He sent us the programmes that he'd done with, wait for it, Jimmy Savile and Paul Daniels. And we thought, well, that's fine. And we've always taken the view that we've got nothing to hide. We are what we are, whether there's a camera around or not. So we thought it would be fun. Mm. Why not? Uh, those were the days when Jimmy Savile was a national treasure, of course. Yes, sorry. Uh, and uh, say that. But uh, the programmes were entertaining and uh, quirky, and we thought it would be good for a laugh. The timing wasn't very good. He was filming us in August. Well, not much was happening in August, and we hadn't got a great deal going on, and all the things we had got going on, he wasn't allowed to come to. I mean, for example, we were even recording stuff at the BBC. And when you would think, as Louis was the BBC guy, they would let him in behind the scenes to watch some of these things. No, no way. So we were beginning to wonder what we were going to be filming. And I think Louis probably was too. And suddenly, wow. There was a limited amount of interest that could be generated from shots of us cleaning our teeth and that sort of thing. I don't think we reduced to that. (laughs) You do go on some exercise together. Yes, I put him through his paces on the uh, in the outdoor gym in Battersea Park. And, uh, so there's about some that. memorable scenes of him puffing and panting on the bars and so on. You look like a piston <laughs> engine going, going like this. I'd forgotten about that. 
There were no restrictions. We didn't say to Louis, you can't ask us this, you can't ask us that, you can't go here, you can't go there. We're just completely open and he just was to make of it what he wanted. And I think we started out, if you can remember, right at the beginning, I had a little confrontation with him in the bathroom in our little flat in London. And he said something disobliging. And I said, well, honestly, Louis, if you're going to take that point of view, we might as well wrap it up now. As the whole thing unfolded and we got involved in this appalling rape allegation, we were getting on extremely well. We became good friends. He and Neil had great fun sparring against each other as to who had the greatest intellect and, and who had the greatest historical knowledge. And a lot of that just went in the cutting room floor. And that was when his producer said to me, we, by then we'd done all the police station business and we got back home to Cheshire. And Will said, Louis getting really worried that he's finding it very hard to be objective. Yeah, which he's kind of open about in the documentary. Mm, mm. And of course, it was a very different kind of documentary from most of those that he did, because he ended up being in the middle of a major news story, which was being filmed in live time. And he was part of the story. That's one thing which, of course, made him very nervous. If we go back to that day where you head to the police station, what are your memories of that day? How does that kind of play back in your mind now? Oh, well, horrendous. And by the way, the police told us that we were being invited, as it were, to go to Barkingside Police Station for our protection because there would be nobody there and nobody would see us. So, as you noted, when we turned up, there was nobody there. But Louis said that within half an hour, the press started to arrive. Now, who told them we were there? I mean, we obviously didn't. We weren't in no position to do. Why would we? Louis didn't because he'd got a scoop. He wasn't going to tell anybody else. So you do wonder how it got out that we were there. Answers on a postcard. There'd be some bent copper who was in the pay of, of somebody in the media. It was ever thus. We didn't realise until we were both being interviewed separately under caution. That... We weren't under caution. Were, were we not? Caution. Yes, well, we, we were. Under, we were under arrest. Well, under arrest. Okay, yeah. sorry. Mm. I'm trying to play it down. Qualitatively quality okay. different. Under arrest. Um, we didn't know that there was a rape allegation. That was the first time we actually heard the word rape. We had just thought it was some sort of sexual assault. And as we'd never heard of this girl before, we'd never met her. We, well, we didn't even know her name until we got to the police station. The whole thing was absolutely horrendous. And having to walk out to all that media was one of the worst moments of my life, to be honest. I've put it behind me now, but it was horrendous. And did you ever think at any point then that you should stop the filming? We didn't have to take him and the film crew with us to be arrested but that was a conscious and deliberate decision that I took having discussed it with our solicitor who was also in the car on the program as well as you remember I took the view that if we didn't get publicity for what was happening to us then the story would just be buried and we could find ourselves for months on end in limbo because Whilst the police were investigating, we were under arrest. Nothing could be published. Our lives, not just our careers, would have been put on hold. The whole thing was madness, very surreal. We knew there was absolutely zero truth in it. The whole thing was rubbish. So it was very important to me that we got a contemporaneous record of this as it happened in the BBC filming it. And that was actually very useful, A, in accelerating the process of kicking these absurd allegations out and so getting our lives back to normal but also the public policy implications of the way that we were treated by the police could themselves become part of a documentary the police were still acting in a kind of politically correct way even in those days and their capacity for judgment was proved to be 
hugely flawed. Non-existent. <laughs> by what happened to us. So at one point during the filming, Louis famously says, this is me, Christine. I'm not a journalist. I'm a friend. <laughs> Did you believe that? Of course not. I can't it's remember. It's like I'm from the government and here to help you, isn't it? <laughs> I can't remember exactly what I said to him, but what a complete rubbish thing to say. I'm not a journalist. Of course he is. Very good journalist. So they go back to Michael the lawyer's office, but I guess maybe he lives there as well. Neil and Christine pose for some very smiling photos for a photographer outside. And Louis makes a comment to the photographer like, oh, this is a big exclusive for you, isn't it? Then they go into Michael's house and there's other people there. I don't know if it's his staff or his family or what. And someone pours Christine a massive glass of wine um, all over her arm as well which is quite funny she says oh i kept asking the police for wine but they wouldn't give me any which again is that thing if you're getting arrested for rape accused of rape would you be making jokes like oh can you get me a glass of wine i know i know so then we go from michael's house and they're driving home christine is in the back of the car she's still kind of like like you said just this like magma is pouring from her and she's getting furious but she keeps forgetting what she's saying mid-sentence because she's pissed <laughs> she's absolutely wankered at this point so louis says she should maybe stop saying stuff until they've had some food <laughs> God, we've all been there, haven't we? Neil drops another fucking clanger. So he says, I hesitate to say you need to get something inside of you. And then Christine says, if you broadcast that, I shall come round personally and stab you. She says that directly to Will as well. Will, yeah, if you're listening, please can you confirm whether or not Christine Hamilton came round and personally stabbed you? So then they start talking about how the PR wars are underway. They're going to potentially sell their story exclusively to the Mail on Sunday. And Christine says they're interested in the truth. And Neil talks about how it's got the biggest readership on the weekend, apart from the, quote, tabloid crap. And he says that the news of the world are going to do all the tart story. Big cooking section at the weekend. Then... <laughs> Jesus... <laughs> That one from the Neil Hamilton playbook. <laughs> so then Louis says, and I don't know whether he's just kind of doing this is a little bit of a jive, says, if nothing, you should get some money out of this, shouldn't you? Christine says, oh, the amount you're paying us per minute is absolute nonsense, which at that point I worried that Louis was paying them mm -hmm. to be part of this documentary. But then Neil kind of says, imagine what an exclusive like this would be worth in the outside world and we're giving it to you for nothing. Maybe they were still getting paid, but he just meant nothing as in he thought they were getting paid so little that it was nothing. I don't know. Surely they can't be being paid to be part of this. Would they do it for free? Like all access? Maybe because they like the publicity. So then they get out of the car and Christine is now chatting to the press while she's clearly a bit pissed. Neil is trying to stop her from making comments, but she can literally not stop herself. Louis trying to stop her as well. Louis describes it as a technical error to get pissed before talking to the press, is how he refers to it. And then Neil replies, quite. <laughs> Christine is sort of getting annoyed at these journalists. She says, look, this is a non-story. And Neil's there going, come on, we're not making any more statements. And one journalist argues with her and says, sorry, it's not a non-story. I think it's an interesting lifestyle that has been revealed. Christine takes offence to that and she says, it's not our lifestyle. Christine, for God's sake. Louis says, Christine, you mustn't keep talking to the press. 
which I've, I've written, is, is he breaking boundaries here? Because he wants her to keep talking to him. Well, this is it. So then we get a shot of them going into the flat. You see all the camera crews at the door while Louis and Will are on the inside. They head upstairs for more wine with the Hamiltons. And we see Christine directly asking, well, put down that camera and open the wine. Make yourself useful. She's like right up in his face. It's like a rap video angle. <laughs> I've described it as painfully cosy, their relationship at this point. But it must be quite addictive to be at the eye of the storm for Louis and Will in this instance. They all sit around in the living room eating pizza, crowded around their tiny TV set and watching the ITN news report that evening, which is all about the Hamiltons. The reporter on the ground is standing outside their flat and he just shares a few statements that they'd made and they show some footage of them as well. He does say they have courted the media for many years. After the segment's finished, they all sit around, including Louis, and just sort of say, God, this is so bizarre. Can you believe this is happening? It doesn't feel like real life. And Neil comments, there you are, fame at last. Christine asks Louis if he believes them. He says it's too bizarre. It can't be real. Louis then makes a comment that Christine ran her mouth downstairs, which is quite um, confrontational. And Christine says, well, look, I'm not prepared to say nothing. And I want to stress that we are innocent. Neil deals with the tension by cracking in another joke that is probably not quite appropriate. He says, I'm going to give medical evidence that proves that I'm impotent. And again, Christine puts her head in her hands. Louis reclined with a glass of red wine at this point. He's red wine, Louis. He's one of my favourites. He then remarks, it's difficult to know when Neil is joking. Was that a joke? So then they kind of chatting a bit more and then Louis says, again in his slightly no-filter way, in a strange way, because the accusations are so bizarre, they may end up helping this weird brand you've evolved. And then Christine goes, you talk to us about the weird brand, you're the weird brand, which is a fair point, well made. Louis gets a bit meta here where he's talking to the Hamiltons, but he also turns to Will and starts talking to Will as well. And he says, yeah, when we were first thinking about doing this documentary, you know, I thought your past scandals were interesting, but a bit passe, really. But this new one makes you really interesting. He says the documentary was looking a little dull. And then Christine rocks out the major plot twist and asks if Louis has invented this scandal to help his documentary. Imagine that was true. Oh, my God. They're all joking about this, but I do feel like there's a slightly hard edge to the Hamiltons here. You know, they're probably just tired. It's been a bit of a shit day, but it doesn't feel that jokey. I think Christine kind of goes from stages of slightly laughing and then kind of talks herself into being really angry again. It's very weird. Christine is kind of throwing pillows at the camera. She throws one. She picks up another and then you hear Will go, no, don't do that. She's like a naughty child getting told off and she stops. But as they're chatting, Christine then grabs the camera, which is sat on the sofa. I don't think Will is holding it at this point. So maybe it's on, maybe it's off, which is the interesting strategy used with Savile. Christine says, oh, is this thing still on? And then grabs it and then it switches off. It goes dark. I was quite shocked by that because that's quite physical to be grabbing equipment that's probably expensive equipment as well. She does change at the drop of a hat. But this is kind of the pact they've made. They get all the exclusive stuff they get to be inside. They get to be inside the car, inside the flat, but then maybe Christine and Neil get to call when they don't want to be filmed anymore. And so as Christine slams down the camera and closes this section of the documentary... This is the end of part one of All The Way Through Revisiting When Louis Met The Hamiltons. We will be back with the second half very soon. Cue 
intense guitar music like they played in the episode. Can you just sing <laughs> D-Ream Things Will Only Get Better Again? <laughs> you didn't get enough of a reaction last time. You can walk my path. You can wear my shoes. Thanks for listening. Things Can Only Get Better with part two coming soon. In the meantime, find us on Twitter or Instagram at allthroughpod. Angels on your bodies.